The next scene, taking on pop culture one scene at a time. Scrooge by the Ghost Now, Home Alone for the Holidays Later, Next Scene Pod on social media, and nextscenepod.com on the web. Welcome to Scrooged by the Ghost, the podcast where we haunt the 1988 holiday classic Scrooged, one horrifying specter at a time. I'm your host, Sean German, and joining us tonight are special guests from The Princess Bride Minute and UHF 62nd, it's Tabitha and Jonathan Carlyle. And you most recently heard him on Planes, Trains, and Automobile Days. It's Brian German. Welcome, everyone. Hi. Uh, humbug. Hello. I mean... <laughs> Happy holidays. Is that what you meant? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no humbugs around here. We're all for uh, for joy and happiness. We're reformed and, uh, now. We've been scared to death. And <laughs> yes, you've been you've been scared happy, scared straight here. So I've I've asked you all here for uh, our final night for night six of uh, our adventure through the classic Scrooged uh, in this section of the film. Frank Cross, Frank Cross returns from his trip with the ghost of Christmas future, only to be confronted by Elliot Loudermilk and his shotgun. But this is the new Frank, who promptly rehires Loudermilk. Elliot is confused, but is dragged by Frank down to the live Scrooge set, program already in progress, uh, where Buddy Hackett as Scrooge is awakening to Christmas Day. Uh, Frank Cross has learned the true meaning of Christmas as Claire at the shelter is watching on TV, and she quickly hurries down to the IBC studios, where Loudermilk keeps the control room in line and the program on the air. Uh, once again, I must be the start off with some uh, sad news for all of us. Pete Mummer could not join us due to a prior commitment, but we oh. do have that personal greeting Pete sent along just for you. Uh, and we'll be playing that a little bit later in the show. Uh, but first, for the guests that that are here with us, uh, I'll start off the the way I always start off is what's your what's your history with the movie? I'll start with uh, with the Carlisle. So Tabitha and Jonathan, what's how did you come upon this Scrooged Christmas classic? Uh, I imagine this one was uh, a TV watch, you know, just showing up somewhere. Uh, we probably recorded it on VHS and then watched it many times after that. Um, I, I think one of our biggest pulls into the movie was, or the, I don't know, movie connections anyway, was with The Princess Bride with Carol Kane. Because mm -hmm. I remember my mom always quoting her lines and, you know, sometimes you have to slap them in the face to get their attention. So I heard that <laughs> line a lot. Uh, she didn't slap us in the face all the time or anything, but, but it was it was Not there, all the time. So. Not all the time. <laughs> we never knew. Uh, but, but yes, it was, uh, it was fun. It was probably... I know this came out earlier than that, but this and Groundhog's Day was, you know, the kind of the, the Bill Murray duo in our house. And I think uh, I think last year was the first time that I saw this movie and I knew you guys were most likely going to do it this year. So mm -hmm. I told Jonathan, OK, I want to see Scrooge. I've never seen it before. They're going to do it next year. So I need to get it in my system, I guess. So last year was the first time I saw it. And then I saw it again this year um, before guesting on us so i'm kind of a i'm a newbie to scrooged so what did you think i always think that's interesting and it seems to be a big thing because a lot of these these podcasts where we're covering 
old favorites and you're you know in this case we're covering a movie that's that's coming up to uh this year is its 30th anniversary so we we watch these movies that we've seen so many times and i always wonder how you know how much is am i looking through uh you know the the rose-colored glasses of nostalgia so you know seeing this first time as an adult 30 years separated from um what are many already dated references in 1988 did it did it hold up for you? What did you think? Um, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> That's a no. It's yeah. That's it's <laughs> it's very dated. I I think I think um, if I wasn't familiar with Bill Murray, it definitely wouldn't hold up well for me. But you know, having just watched Groundhog um, Groundhog Day and mm-hmm. you know some other things, I think in my head, I just I don't know, I categorize it with all the other old Bill Murray stuff, and it's fine. Uh, but it's not one that will necessarily become a yearly tradition for me to watch. Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah, this is a lot. It's a lot of Bill Murray. I mean, this is a I, I don't think it was the intention from the beginning, but it certainly turned into a Bill Murray vehicle. Mm-hmm. Uh, so certainly it helps to be in a Bill Murray frame of mind. Yeah. Do you think anybody in. else could do this version of Scrooge from that from that era? Good question. Good question. I think I think Robin Williams mm-hmm. could be a mm, Scrooge. That's a good one. That's a good yeah. one. Um, now this is a, a different take um then and we're we're we've, we've we've talked about this on air and off contrasting with the muppet christmas carol which uh you know it's it's the muppets so there's some levity there's some lightness and, and some um, jocularity in that interpretation of the story but it's not scrooge himself yeah. So Michael Caine, who plays Scrooge with the Muppets, he's, you know, he's a person and he plays it very straight. I'm bah humbug Scrooge and I'm going to be mean. And then at the end, I'm going to be good kind of thing. And then the the, the amusement and the, the fun comes from the Muppets. Whereas this, it's Scrooge himself is often the source of humor, uh, which makes it an even greater departure from from the original, um, you know, in a Christmas Carol, Scrooge has no sense of humor at all, and there's nothing really, even inadvertently funny about him other than his seriousness. Whereas this Scrooge is, uh, you know, it's Bill Murray; he can't help but be a kidder. Um, yeah. Anyway, so, so Brian, what's what's your history with with the film? I think you've seen it before. I don't think you're one of the the recently yeah. just watched. Right? No, no, I I actually saw this. I want to say on HBO, mm-hmm. uh, probably like. 8990 and I was pretty young this movie scared me I I probably stopped watching this movie for 8 years after I first saw it <laughs> it, it just terrified me for some reason I mean watching it now you know it's got it's got a few things but I do like it now but yeah back in the day I I, I stopped watching it after the first time I saw it <laughs> Yeah and I, you're not the first to say that it's not the first I've heard that now is it particularly the the ghost of christmas future that that segment that scared you? Yeah, I think I think it was that. Um, it was just I, I just remember it was a, just a weird tone. All in all, I just remember not liking it back then. Yeah, the um, I think this the the three spirits. Obviously, Ghost of Christmas Future is scary, but even mm-hmm. the 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 first two spirits, the Ghost of Christmas Past and, and Present, 
are a little out of place. Well, I mm-hmm. maybe out of place is the wrong word. Like I, they, they're they bring the mood back to the series, and even Carol Kane, who as a spirit is sort of flighty, and I suppose that's that's the way the ghost of Christmas present always is. I guess because it's you're just in the present. This is a ghost that just exists for one day. There's no past. There's no future. So there's not a lot of weight there to those characters. In, in any of the interpretations, but so she's a certain, you know, flightiness and it's Carol Kane, but at the same time, like she comes in strong and like her way of, of moving, you know, whereas the ghost of Christmas past has his taxi and he drives Frank around through the different years. The, the ghost of Christmas present is, is knocking like physically knocking Frank around from one time to another, one place to another within the present. Um, that could be scary. Yeah. Yeah. I could see that. There seems to be uh, kind of like a Beetlejuice vibe almost to it, as far as you know, Scrooge stories go. Yeah, I think that's fair, and I think the I think the score helps that. We've got the Danny Elfman oh, yeah. score, and this yeah. coming out uh, the same year as Beetlejuice, nineteen eighty eight. Yeah, so there's definitely some Beetlejuice vibes. That, that's help that's that true. Feel. Yeah, yeah. That's and I'll give a shout out uh, for for folks that are fans of the Beetlejuice movie, or fans of Tim Burton, or fans of Michael Keaton, or uh, or Danny Elfman and uh, and his music. I uh, would recommend people check out Beetlejuice Minute, uh, folks that covered the movie Beetlejuice one minute at a time. Um, that was a really good show, and they they talk a lot about it. And it's it's another movie that um, you know it's it's a comedy the same way this is at least nominally a comedy, but uh, also has those darker elements. Um, yeah. And you, so, uh, and I, I think I'm, I'm another one. I don't know if I, I probably said it at some point, but I also did not see this movie in the theater that I remember. I'm pretty sure it would have been probably on HBO by the time it hit, um, you know, hit cable and, and television and so forth. And, um, and, and we're not alone. Those of us who haven't seen, there's a lot of people that did not see this in the movie. So this is coming off of, Really, the the last big movie, or what Bill Murray would have been remembered for at this point, was uh, Ghostbusters, which came out in 1984. And then, uh, so that was actually the second highest grossing film of 1984, with almost a, a quarter billion dollars in box office total. Um, then uh, Scrooge, four years later, um, only made about $60 million. And was actually 13th in uh, the highest grossing films of 1988. And there were some interesting, uh, just some of the, the movies I wanted to pick out, uh, the movies that beat uh, beat <laughs> Scrooge that year. Uh, so number one at the bo- box office for 1988 was Rain Man with $172 million. Mm-hmm. Number two was Who Framed Roger Rabbit at 156 I like that one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was a good one. At number seven, we had uh, another great, Christmas classic, and that would be Die Hard. Yes, at eighty-three million <laughs> in nineteen eighty-eight, and number ten was Beetlejuice with mm-hmm. seventy-three million in box office for that year. Um, so some good movies, some some good films out out that year. And yeah, this did. Uh, um, I don't know how much it cost to make. I guess not too much, but not a didn't didn't wow them at the box office the way uh, maybe they thought Bill Murray could bring them in. It definitely picked up steam. It seems like in the past, like. 20 years just on home video blu-ray dvd whatever mm-hmm. people seem to be liking it more i wonder when they go to make a christmas movie if 
how much they're counting on the theater. Um, you know, if you're making any kind of holiday movie, especially Christmas, if you if you know that you're going to catch some people, that they're going to be watching it. You know, there's some people are going to watch it every year. Some people are going to watch it every other year or something. You know, like the if they don't make that great at the at the box office, I wonder if they're just like, yeah, we'll make it on the back end, or you know, I don't know. Wonder how much they're planning on for that. You know, it's not just a blockbuster and then it dies off and that's it. I mean, Scrooge is definitely in the rotation on all the uh, ABC. Well, maybe not ABC Family, but you know, <laughs> TNT. You, you know, you you guys have seen all the holiday uh, rotation, mm-hmm. so it's on every year, multiple times a year. So you're probably right. I, you know, I, I, I would think on the one hand, like that's what I would do if I was making a holiday movie. Is yeah, just yeah. That's that's why you do it. You kind of know. All right, this is gonna, you know, this will be in the rotation, and I'll get a little bit every year. But at the same time, so many, particularly in the beginning, so many of the references are so specific, and they were things that were, you know, that were dated in 1988. Mm-hmm. And maybe there's some way, particularly, I'm just thinking of like the stars that they have when we get that first kind of cavalcade of stars that are leading up to the big live production of Scrooged. And it's, you know, it's Lee Majors and Bob Goulet and John Houseman, like a, a bunch of people that were kind of old news, even in 1988 already, and references that are even more dated today. And maybe maybe they did it on purpose to figure out if we'll tell, you know, if we make jokes that aren't dependent on it being 1988. Like these jokes are already old. So how older, how much older are they going to get? And maybe they thought that would give us a certain timeless quality. Yeah, I'm sure. I guess so. Yeah, I definitely, it, 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 it doesn't have the, the same feel as the versions that are set in the 1800s, like the Muppet Christmas Carol or the, the Alistair Sims or, or any of those that are more faithful to the original. Like that kind of feels timeless if you just set it in kind of jolly old England of the the 19th century. Yeah, it definitely dates it. And even just thinking about some newer Christmas movies um, like Elf. I don't even know. That could be close to 10 years old now. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't seem dated to me because they don't really they don't have a lot of current, you know, things in it that ruin it. So it makes it more classic i just really like elf so i wanted to say i like elf <laughs> yeah oh, elf is timeless i would say so too you really can't yeah. i think yeah. it'll age, it, it's gonna age well or it's, it has yeah. aged well yeah i think that's a good example i'm not i would guess that's at least 10 years old i think now. it came out in 2003 i want to say oh wow so yeah. like gone think, 15 so, so 15 years yeah yeah so it's it's half as old as this movie is so we'll you know I guess we we're not sure, but at least so far, I think yeah, I think that's a good example of of a modern Christmas movie that's aging a little bit better. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and I mean, but Elf is also another one that for some folks it's yeah, some folks it's it's a new classic, it's right in the the regular rotation, and other folks are not as big a fan of that <laughs> as others. But yeah, I, I like the Elf. Not quite watch it every year, but. Maybe every other year. I watch it multiple times a year. (laughs) (laughs) I like that one. But let's talk to uh, the movie at hand, which is The Scrooged. So Frank Cross finished up 
Well, when, when we left him yesterday, he was inside a coffin on its way to be cremated. And he was banging and banging to get out. And today we see the coffin is turned into an elevator. The doors open. Frank flies through. And he's alive. And we know this because he says, I'm alive. (laughs) (laughs) And great, like out of the out of the frying pan into the fire type turnaround where he's like, I'm alive. And then Elliot Loudermilk is there. Not for long. I like like that reveal that, uh, you know, (laughs) that we do focus on what's important, that he's just busting out the door. And the fact that they hold the camera in so tight that we don't even know that Loudermilk is there. Mm-hmm. And then we we pull back and we're like, oh, okay, he's right. Oh yeah, remember this next. guy? Yeah, <laughs> this, this and, is a messy guy. He is a mess. yeah. And we're kind of towards the end of of his of Loudermilk's uh, arc, uh, character arc. So where we started off as Bob, Mister Goldthwait, the actor. Now we're like in full Bobcat mode with the <laughs> voice, and and he. I don't know if you guys addressed this in previous minutes, but like he fell really fast. Has it only been about a day since he was <laughs> fired? And he he's already like a drunk, lost his wife, ready to commit suicide or kill his boss and like everything. That's a really that's a really uh, a lot in one day. Yeah, I think this guy's got more problems. You can't blame everything on Frank Cross at this point. <laughs> right. Like I yeah. You know, because even like as soon as he's fired, he's already talking like, all right, we'll have to move to a studio apartment. Like, I know I, I like I don't think I could live where I live without working for long, but not like <laughs> I wouldn't start packing my bags like as soon as I'm fired. Like I'd give myself a couple of days to find a new job before I start <laughs> right. hitting the bottle like that. But yeah, this is. By by my count, it's been two days that he would have. I think he was fired on the twenty second, and now it's the twenty fourth. Obviously, but yeah, yeah, he fell hard. He fell fast. The <laughs> wife left. She took their little girl, and now he all he's got is is this double barrel shotgun. <laughs> <laughs> and Bill Murray just being manic here. As is, I mean, this is classic Murray. Yeah. Yeah, there's I I have a script. I'm not even going to look at it because what they actually shoot is, you know, Bobcat, here's your lines, Bill, just be Bill. I think from here on out, he's just riffing. This is all <laughs> this is all improv. Yeah, Bill Murray being Bill Murray. And some of it doesn't make sense. So, he says Milkman, which okay. The guy's name is Elliot Loudermilk. So, Milkman mm-hmm. is a reasonable nickname. And he kind of looks like a milkman. He's got like his white shirt and his little bow tie, and yeah, it kind of fits. It kind of fits, and like the the round glasses, the round frames. Yeah. But then he says, Frank says, "I'm the Woodstock baby." Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> like I just well, my first question. So is he saying, like, I'm the Woodstock baby? Like I was born at Woodstock? Though we just saw him, he was like 17, 18. You know, he was already working at the TV station in 1969. So I don't think he was at Woodstock. He certainly wasn't born at Woodstock. But yeah, he's like, I'm the Woodstock baby. Like, I was born out of Woodstock? Or is he like calling Elliot the baby? Like, I'm the Woodstock, comma, baby. (laughs) Well, maybe it's like, okay, so Woodstock was love. So maybe... 
he's saying, I don't know, that he was born of love or like he's love now. Like, you know, like, <laughs> okay. I'm loving now, baby. <laughs> uh, yeah, all right. We have now thought about it longer than Bill Murray has when he did this. <laughs> right. <laughs> that's That's my guess. Yeah, it is All great right. though how he uh, the, the roles switch. He's like, please don't hurt me, or some some line like that. <laughs> you know, he's there ready to uh, kill Frank, and then they just switch it on each other. Yeah, suddenly he's very afraid, and it's <laughs> so that's a very helpful tip. Apparently, that's a good like self defense mechanism. <laughs> if people is if if yeah, if you find yourself with a shotgun in your mouth, if you just grab the person and try to kiss them. <laughs> And say I'm the Woodstock baby. That they are then just too confused to fight back. That's that's the linchpin. That's the that's the safe word, or or maybe he's like hypnotized him, and that's you know that's the snapping his fingers to calm him down a little bit. The Woodstock yeah. baby. Yeah. Well, he's he's very kissy in this scene. He kisses the sun. He kisses louder milk. He blows on louder milk's oh gross stomach, which is really gross because he probably hasn't showered in like two or three days. Yeah. <laughs> And like gives him a raspberry. He's like, "This is my thing now." And, this is, uh, yeah, this is my thing. He even re- like remarks later that like we've we've got to get you a shower. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And the, but that's after he's got. <laughs> and overall, it's not even just the scene. Like he does a lot of like in our whole minutes that we're talking about tonight. He does a lot of kissing, from louder milk to the dancers to. Oh goodness, Claire. What's, Claire to, thank uh, you. I wanted to call her Mary. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, well, yeah, Claire <laughs> at the Claire. end, not or Marion, yeah, but yeah, yeah, the missile, the mistletoe one. That that's that's the that's the problematic one. Yeah, the uh, all right. So we'll we'll, we'll get to uh, the mistletoe. <laughs> yes, just a lot of kissing. Yeah. Can we talk about that that sun real quick? Yeah, great sun. I uh, I didn't find too much on that kind of stuff, but I've I've actually been looking for information for for that kind of a style. Um, mm-hmm. But it it uh, you know it comes from Middle Ages uh, or the High Middle Ages technically I guess which uh, one thousand to twelve fifty oh, really? years I mean uh, it comes from you know the knights and their all of their uh, decorations and and uh, yeah just the, the the decorations they have on their shield and on their armor and stuff it's uh, from the herald heraldry is what that's called this design is called the sun in splendor or sun in his glory. Hmm. Um, the, the, the rays that you see coming off of it, most of the time, the, if they're straight rays, that represents light. If they're curly or curvy rays, they represents heat. I think we see both on this one. Um, you know, just yes. stuff like that. The reason I've always been kind of looking or interested in that kind of stuff, I always remembered it as more of like, um, you know, stuff on old maps. You might see compass directions or something with that kind mm-hmm. of a sun. Uh, but when, when I was a kid, uh, I had a dream that I was looking out my window and there was the sun, the moon, and some planets that were all in that same style where they had a face. And they were all, like, way too close to Earth and just kind of sitting there staring at me. And it just kind of, like, <laughs> kind of put me off. And not like a nightmare, but just like, oh, I don't really like that. Like, they shouldn't be there and they shouldn't be looking at me. <laughs> I want to wake up now. And that was it. So I've always had an interest in, like, what, what is that? Why is that? What are those things? <laughs> yeah. I don't know how that relates to the movie, but... Yeah, so why would that's just an interesting choice for Frank to have 
it's an odd piece for an office. I, I, I would say that. Yeah, I guess are they, what are they trying to say? Maybe because it's a television station that maybe saying like they're broadcasting the rays of the sun out to the world. <laughs> sure. That might be it. <laughs> <laughs> or, and it's interesting. It solves, you know, if it, if it raises decorative questions in terms of where is it and why is it? And it's kind of off to the side and it, it doesn't make a lot of sense. The, the placement within this lobby where the elevators are, um, it certainly serves a function for the plot in terms of the movie. Because at this point, Scrooge always awakens on Christmas Day to the sun. And, uh, you know, within the, within the context of this story, well, it has to be Christmas Eve because that's yeah. when the live broadcast is. So yeah. Frank can't, yeah, Frank can't see the sun the way Scrooge usually does. Hmm. That's good. So I want, yeah, so I wonder if they just kind of, like one of the little nods to the original story. It's like, well, he's kind of got to see the sun at this point, but it's nighttime, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, we'll stick this. That could be. We've, we've got this heraldry. We can just stick this on the wall and he can kiss it. <laughs> you know, right before he kisses Bobcat. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so Bobcat, and we've already mentioned how messy he is and stuff, but like his his pants are undone even. Like what what the heck is going on with this guy? <laughs> <laughs> what has he been doing the last two days? Yeah, like the, his, the, the bottom of his shirt is unbuttoned and it's like it's like he's, his whole middle is just coming undone. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> yeah. But the tie is still tied. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just I'm used to seeing the the image of like the the loud singer Frank Sinatra someone at the end of the night in a tuxedo kind of you know glass of bourbon and a cigarette and just the the loosened bow tie just hanging loose um, you know somehow like bow ties usually can't last an evening but this guy he's been wearing one for two days I don't know he, he looks like he looks like the the uh non-lethal or just non-grotesque version of like he was just hanging out in an alley and like alley cats kind of ravaged his body but it's just like represented in his clothing. <laughs> <laughs> like, they didn't actually do any damage, just like his buttons are missing and he can't yeah. hold himself together. His soft bits in the middle, I guess, are the... <laughs> so, yeah, the chewy center yeah. of Elliot Loudermilk. I don't know, are they worried, like, maybe are they are like the filmmakers, were they worried we might not remember that, like, he used to work in this office? So it's like, all right, the pants are undone, the shirt's untucked, but, like, the top three buttons are buttoned and the bow tie is still immaculately tied. Well, I guess apparently he lost like his apartment and all of his clothing and everything immediately. And this must be all that he has. And then the bow tie would probably stay tied because it's probably not one that he ties himself anyways. Maybe it's a clip on. Maybe it's it's the last clip on. Yeah, it's like the last of his dignity. (laughs) Or maybe his wife always tied it and she's gone. So he can't tie it anymore. He's got to leave it. I don't know. Good old America. So the guy's completely destitute. He has nothing. But somehow he comes up with a shotgun. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> All right. Good old Second Amendment in action there. All right. <laughs> but yeah, so Frank's turnaround is so so great that for a moment, Loudermilk isn't even sure he's got the right guy. <laughs> he's not yeah, sure he's got the right. One. That's a good. Like Francis Xavier Cross. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I like that. So, but true to form, the you know one of the the events that sort of kicked off 
uh, kicked Elliot down this path that leads him to this moment is speaking his mind, which got him fired a few days ago and, and turned him into the disheveled mess we see before him. But then he can't help himself. So Frank offers uh, Loudermilk to be vice president of programming, and he offers him his own office. He says, do you want my office? And Loudermilk says, no, I don't like your office. And Frank says, that is so you. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Like, I think at that point, yeah. I mean, maybe it's like, you know, stick with what's been working so far. It was his honesty that that got him, you know, I guess his, his honest will to her, her, his honest wish to kill Frank that got him his job back. So he should continue being honest or honesty got you fired in the first place. You're getting a second chance. Don't muck it up. Yeah, I think he doesn't really know whether to trust him or what's going on. And if he says the wrong thing, you know, like, yes, I want your office. Is this a test? And he's just <laughs> he's going to lose his raise and promotion. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. Then like if I'm taking his office, then I'm a threat to the boss and I may be fired again. Yeah. All right. So he doesn't take the office. Uh, but they they head down to the studio. They hear the tolling of the bells. So... To, to let them know that they're, they haven't been too late. The spirits did all their work just in time. And once again, the what we see with the Frank Cross story in Scrooged is working in parallel to Scrooge's story inside Scrooged. And we, we flash to Buddy Hackett as Scrooge, leaning out the window, flipping the coin down to a boy in the street so he can go by the... Um, I always thought it was a goose. Actually, in the original, it's a turkey that uh, Scrooge asked the, the the boy to buy. Go down to the butcher and buy that large turkey. So is is Loudermilk basically the uh, the the boy? Then he's the first person that uh, Scrooge comes to. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, because up to he, this he point, does kinda, he does kind of help him after this point. Oh yeah, yeah. So instead of going to buy the goose. He goes up to the booth with a shotgun. He goes up to the booth with a shotgun. (laughs) It's a loose interpretation. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Well, he tosses him a coin, like a bullet, I guess, maybe. I don't know. (laughs) Trying to tie it all together. (laughs) No, but I think it's true. They both ask somebody to do something. So I think it's a parallel. Yeah. Although that does that. I guess we're not. It's one of those things that we're not supposed to notice. Like, gee, this enlightened person is still awfully quick with the orders. Yeah. And I mean, it's a good order saying, you know, here's a bunch of money. Go buy this, you know, go buy this goose or, you know, here's the shotgun. <laughs> go keep me on the air. So, you know, keep the show on the air so I can spread this message of good cheer. It's like, well, yeah, we like the message, but did you have to threaten people at gunpoint? <laughs> yeah, I think that this ending is a little bit weird and how all of that plays out. I, th- I think... I think Frank has made a turn, but I don't think he's made it very far down that road yet. I think he's going to need some help to keep on walking that way. Yeah, the ending is weird. It is weird. Yeah. Like, okay, I don't, good. I'm I don't not think, the only one who thinks so. I don't think there's anybody in that booth that is feeling very much Christmas cheer right now. <laughs> or until the very end of the movie, even. Yeah. Well, so let's... Uh, so, so talking about the booth, there is someone in the booth who has... I don't like. Uh, I don't know if strange reaction even is he <laughs> really expresses it. So 
when, and I'm, I'm jumping around here, but I know, but so when Frank, uh, so Frank kisses one of the screw jets, one of the dancers, he notices that she's got some mistletoe on her hat. And he says, oh, mistletoe, we're underneath it. We have to kiss. It's a state law. Um, we flash up to the control booth where Elliot is, is holding everyone at gunpoint to, to keep the show on the air as Frank does whatever he's doing down there. And we see the censor lady, uh, the woman censor, who's been on Frank's back this whole movie. She's up in the booth monitoring things. And then she notices... Um, Bryce? Bryce. Bryce, Coven. right. He notices, she notices Bryce has been tied up by Elliot to keep him from in- interfering with the broadcast. But he is... Uh, He's underneath some mistletoe. And according to Frank, by law, she has to kiss him. And it's like, well, no. You do- <laughs> <laughs> like, you're, you're in a hostage situation. He is a fellow hostage. I don't think either of you are in a place to either, you know, to, to give or receive consent. And it's like, she, they literally show her licking her lips. It's it's that uh, it's been a while since I've actually watched the whole movie, or I was kind of more focused on on this bit anyway. But has she done anything like towards Bryce, or is this just like a spur of the moment thing? And that's one of the things that bugs me is that it is a spur of the moment thing, and I haven't found any any deleted scenes, anything to indicate that there's a previous relationship here. Like if yeah, if there had been something. Some hint of this earlier, like when Bryce first walks into the stage to, or the studio to sort of take control from Frank. If there was some indication from from this nameless woman who we only know as censor, I'm going to call her Miranda. She looks like a Miranda. All right. Um, you know, yeah. If there had, yeah, if there had been some earlier indication from Miranda that you know she admired or she had any sort of feelings for Bryce previously. Then this would be like, oh, she's kind of taking her opportunity. She sees her chance to bridge the gap between sensor and content producer. I don't know. I think that you're <laughs> trying to squeeze in a, a poor joke. I mean, it doesn't really play well, but that's what it seems like to me. That they're just trying to. It's like a just a gag that they're trying to play. Yeah, it's the really movie all itself, about not not within the movie, just the movie itself. It's just a, a stupid gag. Yeah. yeah. It's it's just Bryce getting his due at that point. It really has nothing to do with the censor. Right. The whole scene is crazy because, you know, like, why is Frank even kissing the other lady if he wants, you know, wants his... <laughs> oh, maybe, maybe he doesn't know that yet. Claire back. Yeah. Now, that scene her. definitely does not age well. I mean, that's basically, oh, I guess his employee there, technically. Uh, <laughs> right. And he hands her his tie. Yeah. Like, he hands her his tie for her to pull him in. And then everybody's like, woo, and clapping. I think the only time I ever clap for people kissing is when I'm at a wedding and you yeah. ding the glasses. <laughs> like, that's it. Otherwise, I'm like, I don't, I don't need to see you kissing. And then, <laughs> so, I don't know, the whole the whole thing's just weird. It, yeah, it's weird. It is weird. Well, yeah, and they're, yeah, they're literally clapping and they, they flash directly from them kissing to the booth and like everyone in the booth is like on yeah on top of it's like for many reasons one yes this is your boss kissing one of your co-workers on live <laughs> television oh and by the way you're still in the hostage situation there's still a guy behind you with a shotgun <laughs> maybe not but yeah they you know they're all applauding and then 
suddenly sensor ladies just seeing mistletoe everywhere. Uh, yeah. So I thought, yeah, I thought that was just, yeah, and just now, weird. Do- and I think you're you're right, Brian. It just they're looking for gags at that point. Yeah. And they need, I guess they they need something to break it up because I guess it would be even more strange if you to, when they go like this th- that transition from. Frank kissing this woman who's essentially a stranger. I mean, she wasn't, he wasn't really getting to know the everyone working. Um, and he knows the stars by name. I doubt he knows the names of all the screw jets. But goes from kissing this woman to suddenly pouring out his heart for there was one, you know, one great one, the one that got away. And I guess that's even more awkward without having something in between. Yeah, kissing one woman and then going to talking about another woman. It is, because if I was watching that <laughs> and it was, you know, Jonathan, we're not married, that was Jonathan, and he just mm-hmm. kissed another woman, but then is proclaiming his love for me, I'd be like, forget you. Right. <laughs> oh, you wouldn't run, get to your car and race down to get him? I would not. I'd be like, forget that. <laughs> yeah, you well, can I... have your floozy woman. <laughs> it's a national law. Because, <laughs> yeah, I kind of question, like, are you going to still be watching at that point? As soon as you're like, oh, you know, because you've you've heard from Jonathan, you know, John, you, well, you didn't hear from Jonathan for a long time. And then suddenly he called you out of the blue and you're thinking maybe he's changed. You're going to get back together. But then he's he hasn't changed. He's the same way he was when you last saw him years ago. And then suddenly you're watching his Christmas special, his live TV special. And he seems like he's having some sort of crisis or breakdown. And suddenly he's just kissing another woman. Yeah. So I think at that point, you just turn the set off and you're not even hanging around for whatever he says. <laughs> right. I'd be like, well, I guess he didn't really change. Yeah. <laughs> it's all just part of the show. Yeah. And isn't it strange that uh, that there's just still he interrupts the entire program and, and they just keep the camera on him and just show it as if it, <laughs> I guess it makes for good ratings. You know, something crazy yeah. might happen. I'm just wondering like who's going to jail out of this whole thing? <laughs> well, <laughs> Elliot is uh, probably. Well, let's start with who's list. not. Yeah, 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 that's true. But Elliot now now Elliot's in a position of his boss telling him to go up there with a gun. Yeah, I guess so. so. Well, that's not his job to go. With I know, a gun. <laughs> but there's some coercion, I guess. Yeah, I feel bad for him going to jail. I think Frank should just go to jail. <laughs> Yeah, I think Elliot can probably plead down. Uh, you know, he'll. <laughs> Although it is it, his gun, so. well, he, he even tied up Bryce. Like no one told him to tie up Bryce. That's true. He knocked well, Bryce no, out with the door and then tied him up. I was wondering about that because so there's I don't know a dozen ten people in this control booth, and Elliot's only got the one shotgun. So does he say, like hand the gun to someone else here? Hold this while I tie up, <laughs> or is he like telling one of the other guys, "You tie up that guy"? I he probably told somebody else to tie him up. He's got a gun, and I'm guessing he probably. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I think that's the answer, and I think he probably didn't have too much trouble getting <laughs> volunteers because I, I know, like we, we've seen a little bit of Bryce, not as much as we've seen of Frank, and he's definitely a different kind of personality. But I can't imagine he's that much better to work for so i yeah i don't think elliot had you know had to do too much forcing to get uh you know to get volunteers for that duty mm-hmm. but it seemed like it'd be so easy to like pretend like leave the monitors in the studio on so it looks like you know so the tvs in the booth show 
what the cameras see, but not actually be sending that out. Well, there's that moment even where the, uh, I, I don't remember what his position is, but he, the, the guy that actually owns the station and yeah. he's sitting at home and he goes to, he, he's just kind of screaming at home and his wife actually like calms him down. Like, like she wants to watch this. She's like, let's see where this is going. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, it was maybe reality her cat, TV. Maybe, Maybe her cat's really perked up, so she's like, oh, the cats want to watch this. <laughs> the cats, they're, they're paying attention. I, I got more movement. like, she was like, like you know, don't swear in front of the cats. Yeah. <laughs> Calm down. Shh. <laughs> yeah. And before we move forward, I just also want to mention another thing about this kiss. So one of the Scroogets is there with, uh, with Frank Cross and Jamie Farr. Who is uh, who is playing the ghost of Marley? So he is playing a ghost. He is supposed to be a dead man. He looks awful. Yeah, he looks like a dead man. <laughs> he looks like a dead man. I don't know if it's really good makeup or really bad makeup, but he looks like absolute crap. <laughs> um, but like I said, he he is it, it, within the Scrooge production inside the movie. He is playing the ghost of Scrooge's partner Marley. So he is supposed to be. Not just a dead guy, but like one of the bad dead guys. Not one of the. He's not a Christmas spirit. Maybe that explains it. But mm-hmm. yeah, he looks absolutely awful. And then, uh, so this is more just. I really think this whole part, like the end part, is just. Oh, we set up a camera. Everyone's kind of standing around behind him in a circle or semicircle. The rest of the crew, and he's riffing. And then, how long must he be riffing? Because before he's done, Claire has shown up. Well, and you're thinking like, so, all right, she's, they're watching. It's kind of a magical cab, I guess. <laughs> well, yeah. So, I mean, she's she's watching, so she's got to decide, all right, you know, I've seen enough of this. I'm going down. And then she's like, got to get her coat, get her hat, make sure like, then she's got to check in with the other people at the shelter. Do you know where the, do you know where the fuses are? Do you know where the turkey is? Can you handle things without me? And then she jumps in the magical cab, which is a nice little flashback to our, our ghost of Christmas past. David Johansson giving Claire a ride there. So she happens to show up. I had totally missed that or didn't remember it that she rode in the magic cab. It happens very quick. Yeah. It just kinda, oh, yeah. It's, it's really very quick. It pulls up and he kind of smiles at the camera and that's all about. Mm. That's about all. Yeah. Well, she's I might like have blinked. Gross teeth. Yeah. It is a, a blink and you miss it sort of thing. Yeah. Well, Frank is sounding like an old TV preacher here. So. I don't know. Maybe he just keeps going on about getting your miracle and you got to want it. Maybe he does just go on for a while till she gets there. Yeah. It is a uh, weird. It really is. Just talking about it now, it's it's strange. Just it, it's almost it doesn't even convince me anymore that he changed. It's just one big act. <laughs> <laughs> well, see, okay, so he's changing. Like I said, I think he made a turn, but he's still got to walk that that out because like everyone at the station is here because he made this happen. He made them all be here on Christmas Eve, and he he mentions that like who would mm-hmm. who would even do this? You know, only you, and uh, <laughs> only you, Frank. So, but so even though he's made a change and he's like, yeah, hey, it's party time, they're still there. Like right, like yeah, he's loosening things up, but they're still there. They're still not at home. So I'm just wondering, like. As far as, like, if we had a Christmas spirit meter for all the people there, like, I think he's just basically bringing them back up to zero. Like, he's not, I don't know that he's actually doing anybody any good beyond that. I think he's just kind of, like, bringing it back up. Yeah, that that's that makes sense. 
Yeah, I mean, he's, he's bringing it up for himself. But yeah, like you yeah. said, everyone else is. And they, they still, I don't know, they have, I don't know what kind of t- contingencies you have when you're running, you know, a live television program. Although they're at the end anyway. It's not even like this is halfway through the show and he can send everybody home early. Right. We've just seen Scrooge toss the coin down to the boy in the street. So it's, now we, we, I don't know if we ever determined how long this program is. Like it was it one hour, two hours, whatever. But however long it is, it's pretty close to the end. So at this point, after he kisses Claire and they do a sing along and every, you know, then they wrap up and go home. And it's like, um, yeah, it's like, great. We're, we're going home at the same time or even later because, well, this guy was standing around singing. We had to keep the cameras on the lights <laughs> on and everything. We could have been we could have had this thing shut down a half hour ago. So yeah, and then he, call, he calls for champagne and stuff. So who yeah. knows how long it's going to be. Right. I'm also curious, back in the 80s, how often did we have live TV shows? Did that actually happen? Like today when there's live shows, you know, they have that uh, couple second delay mm-hmm. to make sure everything's okay. Because a lot of the stuff that he is saying wouldn't be allowed on <laughs> TV back then. <laughs> So it is, it goes back to that whole thing. It's interesting that the cameras kept, kept yeah. rolling. Maybe yeah. because uh, Miranda, the sensor lady, was preoccupied. Oh, maybe that's why they pulled her away, yeah. Kissing so. the tied up mistletoe guy. Yeah. So he was just, he was attention. bait to, to get her away from the button that she's supposed yeah. to push when. <laughs> so there was no beeping. He, he could say yeah. and do whatever he wanted. Yeah. I mean, when it would, yeah. <laughs> When he's saying things like, what kind of rat bastard idiot would schedule a live show on Christmas Eve? Right. You can't say that on television. Uh, (laughs) Even if it's like a 1030 at night show, you can't do that. Not back then. What's a rat bastard idiot? (laughs) Ask your father. (laughs) What's a flatulating butthead? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, Those, I don't know, those aren't like strictly bad words but yeah no probably not the kind of thing you want during christmas programming no matter how <laughs> late it is and they all love them i mean at the end of this the, the the everybody there loves them yeah hmm well they did see a kid that they didn't know talk <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well i they probably all know the kid frank frank's the only one who doesn't know about calvin and and him, him oh that's, not talking. that's true yeah um, yeah, we, we did get a, a, a good payoff. So this was, this goes back to, well, Calvin watching a Christmas Carol on TV back in the apartment. We see the scene. I think it's Tiny Tim saying, God bless us, everyone. Mm-hmm. And then earlier we saw him look on as, uh, as Mary Lou Retton playing Tiny Tim says the same thing. And so he is here to make sure Frank doesn't miss that part of the show which was cute like when he that 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 gets me i will admit it that's like well, i think that. of all this christmas miracle talk i think i think you almost have to have that because otherwise i don't i don't really believe a lot of it but we have that moment it's like okay so there so there we got a christmas miracle yeah mm-hmm. it's like yeah I, his, his family got a christmas miracle <laughs> i don't get that emotional over a middle-aged guy reconnecting with an ex-girlfriend, you know, kind of the Frank Cross thing or a jerk being a little less of a jerk. Like, yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, nice that, that, that Elliot gets his job back louder milk, but you know, that's, you need a little kid 
just to tug on the heart. Yeah, but is he going to have his job the next day after he blasted a hole right through right. the control? Well, yeah. <laughs> after yeah, after Frank sobers up, is he still going to? Yeah. Well, yeah. With with the felonies on his record. Yeah. Oh, I, I know we're kind of like just we've kind of just gone to a general view of all of this, but I didn't want to not mention about the guy kicking his cat. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> it's a, and I don't, I don't promote kicking cats, but as a, as far as a comedy thing where you don't even see the cat, you just hear their meow. Yeah. That's, that's always a, a fun comedy thing. Yeah. That was Austrian good. It, it, yeah. And it's, yeah, it's nice that you don't, you don't see it. You don't need to see it though. You know, it's, <laughs> The, the, that's one of those things where the sound makes makes the joke. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How do you feel about forced partying when people say, force you to party? Do you feel like partying? Like when Frank's like, I don't hear any partying up there. You know? <laughs> Why isn't everybody happy? I, I, that's, you know, that's another one of those things that goes to the question of how much has Frank really changed? Um and this a lot of this like kind of the the Bill Murray riffing, the little dance he does like oh you gotta party hardy and then he does like the the dropping the baby it's like oh no no it's just a doll. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I I do feel like I I really enjoy this movie I think this is a, a really nice take on the traditional Christmas Carol tale until we get to this section. I I think it's kind of a weak ending. And part of it is the this the song, uh, the the big song at the end. See, now this is where I'm gonna have to push back on you. I, I knew this was coming. <laughs> the song's great. Well, and you've got some good names. So I'll just give you some. I'll, I'll just toss out some facts for you. So, put a little love in your heart, uh, written by Jackie DeShannon, Randy Myers, Jimmy Holiday, performed. Well, there's so there's two credits in the end. So there's the performed by the full cast as they sing us out, then also performed by Annie Lennox and Al Green. And like, those are like just two of the greatest voices ever, really. Annie Lennox and, and Al Green. I mean, that's just, you'd think that'd be a great combination. I don't know. So what, yeah. What do you guys think of this song? The, the put a little love in your heart tune. Hmm. This movie was actually my introduction to the song. So it's kind of, whenever I hear the song, I just think of this movie. I, yeah. It's not really my cup of tea, I guess, but I don't mind it because of what it's connected to. And it's kind of, oh. you know, it's meant yeah. as an uplift, uplifting part of the movie. If I were to just to hear it on the radio with, I just, I, I wouldn't really listen to it or, you know, I'd just kind of let it play and move on to the next thing. Yeah, I guess that's true. I, I definitely don't care about hearing it on the radio, but it's a fine uplifting end to this movie. I guess it fits what this movie is. Yeah. All right. It's a good song. Right. It's a great song. <laughs> All right. Yeah. So let's come, come at me, Brian. You, so you like the song. I, I like the song. It's, it's catchy. It's uplifting. Right. Well, then it goes to, it's not a Christmas song. It's not an overt Christmas song. They're not, you know, so it's not, um, so it, yeah, it's, it's, so it's not just for Christmas. It's a general uplifting right. love song. Hey, put a little love in your heart. Right. Um, I'm trying to think. I don't know if I've if I've ever heard the song outside of the context what, of the movie. What what do you not like? But you don't like the the rhythm. What what the the lyrics? What? <laughs> I don't. You know that's that's a good question. I'm not really sure. I think it's a part of it's the lyrics, and part of it's the rhythm, 
And you know the <laughs> the, the rhythm. Well, it's gonna get you. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's it, it's a there's nice not song. a lot of there's not a lot of words in the song. You know, and I don't I don't know, I haven't broken it down in terms of credits like who wrote the music, who wrote the lyrics, and and you know what who did what. It's a it's a nice song, but to me, it, but it, yeah, it's just the, the lyrics are very repetitive. Yeah. And to me, it kind of, you know, put a little love in your heart, put a little love in your heart. To me, it kind of feels like the, you know, when, when all the artists came together for, um, we are the world. Yeah. We are the world are. And, and stuff like, yeah, it kind of has that same ring to it, I guess, mm-hmm. where it's, it's really about, it's really about more what the song is than, or what the song means, I guess, than what it is. Yeah. And it's not really my favorite kind of style. So it's like, okay, it's, it's nice. If people were singing it all together, that'd be fine. But I'm yeah. not going to jam to it. Agreed. No jamming. <laughs> yeah. So you can jam if you want, Brian. That's fine. <laughs> Thank you. Um, and so as as the song is playing us out and the credits start to roll and then it's just more Bill Murray riffing and he's doing the like, oh, this side of the theater. He's like looking out, you know, breaking the fourth wall, looking out into the theater and doing the like, all right, this side of the theater, that side, just the men, just the women. Have you and ever been like, in yeah. Have you ever been in a theater when people actually respond to those types of things? A movie theater? Yeah. <laughs> like I've... when Okay, so imagine, you know, being in the movie theater when he's like, "Okay, this side all right just the women have you ever been in a theater where people actually no i like singing along and doing that oh gosh no yeah because and it just feels (laughs) i would have to kill every one of them i wouldn't be there for long i'd say i know that i know and it feels so awkward when you're sitting there and somebody on the screen is just like hey do this and nobody's (laughs) nobody does it i think it's actually just kind of funny that he's doing it as the song is playing and but yeah not not funny in the way that I'm actually going to do what he's saying. I'm just going to watch funny, him ha, do his ha. thing. Right. I've, I've been in movies where he, people clap at the end. I was right. just going to say, like, is that... Uh, I don't understand that. Like, they, it's a, you know... It's a moving picture. Like, the people aren't really there. They can't hear you clapping. I don't know. I We've been in... Well, we just saw two movies on Friday night. What movies? We saw um, Once Upon a Deadpool and mm. The Green Book. And so we saw two movies in one night and people clapped after both of them. <laughs> and we were like, Are we, I, we're not clappers after a movie. And so we're like, oh, this must be clapping night. And I tell you, when I went to go see the second Mamma Mia movie this summer and there was like a bunch of old people, older people in there, <laughs> they really clapped. I mean, there was a lot of clapping going on at the end of Mamma Mia. But they just they think they're in a theater. I guess. I don't know. I mean, yeah, it, it Wait, is a little weird. I just sorry. Who claps at the end of Deadpool? I don't know because the first that's one we a, saw was we saw Green Book first, and I can kind of understand that because it's it, it's it's a historical thing. Uh, it's based on a true story. It, yeah, it was uplifting yeah. at Did the you end like it? and stuff like that. Was it that. a good movie? So, oh, it was, we really like that. It one. was really good. Highly recommend. Yes. Mm, okay. So I could understand like because it's it's based in reality and stuff like people clapping like th- there was some uplifting to it. But then yeah, then we saw Deadpool after that and people were clapping at that. I was like, what the heck is going on? <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, he killed all those people. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Maybe they were just really happy with the Princess Bride format of 
uh, of Once Upon a Deadpool. How Which they, also was excellent. Yeah, that part how they reformatted yeah, I could, it. Yeah, I could see applauding for that. Yeah, now, I've, so, I've that been to... Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, that was it. Go ahead. Oh, okay. I was going to say, like, I've been to concerts with, like, a live performer is like, all right, now this side of the theater. All right, now sure. that side of the theater. Now the balcony. Like, mm-hmm. okay, you're a person. You're asking me to clap. I'm going to clap. You will hear me when I clap. Right. Versus, oh, this Bill Murray is just light on a screen. It's not an actual Bill Murray. And he's not going to know whether I clap or not. So <laughs> Right. It just still feels awkward. I don't know. It feels awkward when there's a movie. I I was trying to think there was some other movie where it called for a response from the audience and I can't re- I couldn't remember what it was. But, you know, it just Dora made the me Explorer? Dora the Explorer. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think so. Peter Pan? <laughs> I don't know. But I I'm like it just makes me feel awkward. I'm like, yeah. I don't I don't like when people force me to do things that I don't right. want to do. Exactly. Yeah. Like partying. Or like singing. partying at, at gunpoint. <laughs> it's and so uh, also so during the course of this song and this wonderful song, uh, the the ending of this movie, Frank Frank turns and he sees all the spirits that have visited him over the past uh, few evenings. See his uh, his old boss Hayward Lou and our ghost of Christmas past, present, and future, and Herm Herman's there. Yeah, our new spirit. In which is another great departure from the original. If he's sort of, I mean, there's there's a lot of different like we were talking a little bit earlier how Loudermilk becomes like a kind of the young boy position to help Scrooge out at the end. He was also a little bit of a Bob Cratchit as an assistant earlier, getting fired, and like Herm was kind of a, a Tiny Tim like character, but in the original and. Uh, Dickens makes a point to emphasize it in in all caps. He kind of he, he writes it the way Gonzo says it in A Muppet Christmas Carol. He writes it out, Tiny Tim, who did not die with the not all in caps, um, is emphasized in the original. But here, Frank could not save old Herm. So Herm, I mean, I guess it's good that he's... So is this still a happy ending? It's like, yay, he's a spirit, but he did kind of freeze to death. <laughs> but you know? yay he's a spirit but so. i guess yay i guess now he's hooking up with the ghost of christmas present <laughs> they seem to be a, a, a couple now how's yeah. how's that gonna work does is he now part of the the presentation or the the spirit of the present or right is their relationship is that done at the end of the day or does it renew at the next year i don't mm. do, do they come as a pair now to anybody else that needs them or Maybe yeah. as a pair. She slaps so him and he punches him. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Or he kneels down behind him and she pushes him over. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> I was just about to say that. Yeah. They they team up now. So, yeah, if you die, if you freeze to death on Christmas Day, then you, you become the like one of the ghosts of Christmas present kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Maybe. We also didn't he... talk about... Sorry. We also didn't talk oh. about... Frank pulling Claire out in front of the camera when she didn't want to be pulled out. Yes. He's really violating hey, a lot of people's this is space. His Christmas miracle. Oh. His Christmas miracle. Right. I don't think well, he gets he... it. She didn't want to. She was like lumpy, no, and he didn't listen. He's learned nothing. But it's his Christmas miracle. He's learned <laughs> Nothing's gonna stop him from getting his Christmas miracle. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. And I mean he and he physically like picks her like you could say the like the dancer that he kissed. When he's like, oh, there's mistletoe, I have to kiss you. 
she seems receptive. But you could also say, well, you know, she, she she's on camera. This is her boss. It's, she didn't know how to react. But, like, in this case, yeah, Claire is saying no. And he physically picks her up off the ground to put her in front of the camera mm-hmm. to then kiss her in front of the live TV cameras and all the people watching at home. This man who just kissed some other woman. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but again, it's, it's all about his Christmas. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So maybe, what's his name, Herman? The guy that froze to death? Yeah, Herm, Herman. Yeah. Maybe he'll become like the reminder ghost. The one that comes back again and be like, hey, remember all the other ghosts? And everything you went through? Remember your Christmas miracle? Like, 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 yeah. like a follow-up spirit or something? Yeah, like or? the follow-up <laughs> the spirit. Follow-up. <laughs> like he comes in like New Year's Eve or something and be like, hey, mm-hmm. a week ago, remember? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, he could be the New Year's <laughs> Eve spirit. He's like the New Year's resolution ghost or something. Yeah, that's good. There you go. Yeah, I, I definitely see Frank someone who's going to need like the occasional tune-up. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> he may mean well, but we don't know how things are going to go. Oh, my. Maybe he really does need a louder milk in his life. Like He needs that, that business partner that's, that's not a yes man at all. Right. Someone that's not afraid to tell the truth. You just you, you need to not fire that person. Right. <laughs> so they can stay around and continue to tell you the truth. Well, they could be sharing a jail cell tomorrow, so they could be getting to know each other really well. <laughs> we'll see. So that part, I mean, there's obviously a lot of the specifics are different, but I still see a lot of parallels with the original in terms of when when Scrooge wakes up on Christmas Day, he has an idea of Christmas and he's going to impose that, you know, sort of impose <laughs> his cheery will on everyone. Where he's yeah he's gonna get the, the 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 biggest bird from the butcher and all these other things, and he doesn't even tell them. If I remember correctly from the original, he has the butcher send the biggest turkey to the Cratchits like anonymously. He doesn't, and then he goes to have Christmas dinner with his nephew and like his fiance or his girlfriend and like their friends and family and stuff. Like, he doesn't even see Bob Cratchit Christmas Day. But he still... So I actually like that in the way that he's not making that part about him. He's doing something good for them, you know, kind of on the down low. Mm -hmm. He's not making it all about him. Yeah, but remember this. So this is, you know, this is, I think, 1840s. This is like the mid-19th century. This 20-pound bird is plopped down. So... Yeah. And this is, you know, so this and there's going to be very traditional gender roles within the household. So Jonathan Ant answers the door and it's the, <laughs> it's some boy from the butcher saying anonymous delivery. And you're like, oh, wow, this is great. Someone is a Christmas miracle. Someone has given us the gift of this this beautiful bird. What a feast we shall have. And Jonathan is happy and filled with the spirit of Christmas. <laughs> And Tabitha's going to spend the next six hours pulling feathers out of this thing. <laughs> That's going to take two days to cook because you don't have a microwave or a convection oven in the 1840s. Like, I don't know. This is such a great gift. I don't know. Well, if you if you don't have very much food, you know, and all you're eating is like beans or something, <laughs> all um, bread, 
then you know it might be worth it and that's why you have like 12 kids so they can pull the feathers out <laughs> for you and then you got one of those spits over the fire right it roasts it and you're good to go <laughs> okay yeah so yeah on so, the bright side. so yeah i got the i got it down <laughs> there you go you got all those kids to help right <laughs> pulling the feathers and everything all right there you go yeah, yeah. and if, if if you know protein may be in short supply in yeah. their their food pyramid there so they yeah, and I have a helpful husband, so, you know, he might be helpful with uh, pulling those feathers, too. Getting the bird on the spit are good. Yeah. <laughs> no, but in the traditional story, Scrooge is being, he is still being active. He sends the turkey because he wants Tiny Tim to have healthy food and get better. And he goes and visits his nephew and, you know, he gives Bob Cratchit a raise. Yeah. So basically what Frank does here is just lets people go home. Well, he does and give Laudermilk his job, so that kind of goes with <laughs> the raise true. thing. But was he planning on it? If Laudermilk wouldn't have been there, would he have sought him out to give him his job back? I don't know that he would have. I, don't I think, think all so. he, I think all he would have done is let people go home. And obviously, he still didn't let people go home because he wanted to sing and make out with <laughs> co-employees. Yeah. Like, I don't know. Yeah, he's forcing people to party instead of letting them go home. Um, another note too, like. As far as regarding his brother, it's like he has that sappy moment, but he can't let that go past without giving him, you know, one more over on him. The uh, the answer to the Gilligan's Island trivia, (laughs) which is probably going to haunt them forever. Like, how how did you what? How? How? It's like, well, I can't tell you. (laughs) You wouldn't understand. Yeah. It's my Christmas miracle, brother. But it was nice that he reached. It was nice that he reached out to his brother on there, though. Yeah. You know, that. So that was nice. So, yeah, it's... Yeah, I guess yeah, they kind of had to close the loop on that plot line. Yeah. It, so it's an interesting overall movie. I guess this section, we just... It seems like we all don't li- love. I don't love it. If I'm watching the movie, I don't hate on it like I am now. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it does... I guess that's, that's probably part of the problem of taking a story like this and trying to modernize it or, you know, put it into a real-world situation. It's It might be a little bit messy at times. And in the grand scheme of things, it's only about eight minutes. If you if you like the song, if you just feel like you need to get through this scene to the song part, there's really there's like only like eight really uncomfortable minutes where like yeah, just everyone else is kind of just standing around wondering like okay are we are we done here are we all fired is this guy gonna <laughs> it's just like a is this gonna turn into a network situation where Frank Cross commit suicide on live TV. <laughs> like, yeah, we could see where in the beginning there's like a couple different ways this could go. <laughs> Everyone's just kind of standing back, no sudden movements. When are we going to get a little love in our hearts? Come on. Yeah, get a little love in our hearts. Yeah. I think that's when, when Frank starts trying to act out poses from the Kama Sutra. <laughs> it's kind of but... And yeah. then... Uh, that's because yeah. Miranda's busy. She doesn't pick up on those things. Yep. Yeah. They, they got her distracted. Yeah. Well, they did manage to take down Bryce in the process, though, by blaming, you know, Loudermilk blames Bryce for <laughs> the issues when when the boss calls. Right. When Preston well, calls. <laughs> that little thing is, is all over the place, too. It, we, we didn't touch on that. But so, yeah. So... So Ryan Lander, the big boss man, calls the calls the uh, the control room, 
Loudermilk answers. And then, so yeah, he says, so so Rylander wants to talk to whoever's putting Frank on. Then Elliot says, well, that, yeah, that'd be Bryce. He can't come to the phone. First, he says he's calling him a butthead. And then he's like, oh, I never felt that way about a man before. <laughs> it's just kind of all over the place. I think it'd be very confusing for Rhinelander and, and yeah, very difficult. Well, I think, the, but I think he could explain, like, I was tied up and this person was lying to you. I didn't say any of those things. <laughs> <laughs> but again, then, 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 then Bryce is depending on the other people in the control room to kind of back up his story. Whereas if they, you know, if they're sympathetic to Frank and Elliot in their little mission here, and they've been swayed by this joyous song that everyone is singing at the end, and maybe, you know, and, and they didn't like Bryce to begin with, then they're like, well, yeah, we didn't like Frank, but at least he was our guy. We don't want these outsiders coming in. And they'll be all like, yeah, he said exactly what Loudermilk told you. Oh, I, I imagine the the censor uh, is totally on Loudermilk's side because she gets to, you know, take advantage of Bryce. <laughs> so she's like, yeah, everything that Loudermilk said is is completely correct. And and of course, they don't want to be on the bad side of the censor, so they're like, okay, I guess that sounds good. Bryce, you're out. Mm-hmm. All right. I think there is something to like Frank being their guy, even though he's been a jerk. Like they've known him, and so mm-hmm. they're like, oh, he's he's our jerk. He's our jerk. <laughs> <laughs> And they've got a little love in their hearts. And so, yeah, they're more forgiving than Bryce, the new guy, who's kind of a snob. Snob isn't the right word. I don't even know the right word for Bryce. But I don't like him. <laughs> yeah. He was like... like I'm trying to think who I do like. In he this was movie. like a yuppie, like an 80s yuppie. Yes. Yeah. Like not not a yuppie these days, but like what we what we were thinking of when we said yuppie in the 80s. That was the guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Definitely. But he kind of came in like trying to be a usurper from the beginning. You yeah. know, he was trying to take take Frank's job from the very beginning, I guess, which isn't cool. Yeah, it's just kind of like that that slick West Coast, fast talking, overly friendly thing that that gets on my nerves. Mm-hmm. It's like just just curse me out to my face like a normal person. Mm-hmm. Grace, the secretary, is nice though. I like her. Yes. So there's I was I, we we've talked I think we've talked about all the the actors and actresses and the folks that as they've come up the only bit of the credits I want to talk about is um, when they go back the the only mention of a Christmas Carol they they very noticeably don't refer to it at all during the movie they talk about Charles Dickens Immortal Scrooged um, or maybe it's just Scrooge the movie the the television show is Scrooge Scrooge with an E and then Scrooged the past tense is the movie. But anyway, so then in the credits at the, towards the end, they say suggested by a Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens. Uh-huh. Suggested. Well, uh, yeah, I'm a little stronger than <laughs> suggested by, I think that it follows the exact same structure and very similar characters. And so was the rights to do, a Christmas Carol and actually call it a Christmas Carol was that beyond their budget? Why is would that public domain? Do you need rights for that? That's what I would think. Like why they wouldn't, or maybe they just didn't want it affiliated necessarily. 
That's my presumption. Now, I don't know the, the timing. Obviously, we are looking back 30 years. I, I didn't look into the history. I know you can find uh, the original text of A Christmas Carol at the, the Gutenberg Project. So if you go to gutenberg.org, and that's a project where they're working on making or keeping works of, of literature and art that are in the public domain, keeping those available for free to the public. So Christmas Carol is currently public domain. Hmm. Um, I wonder if it was just a case of they wanted to let people know that this was a new interpretation. Because there were, I, you know, a lot of times people talk about so, some of the older adaptations. There was a, a, a 38 and a 51. There's the Alastair Sims and, and various older versions. But wasn't there one, was it George C. Scott? had a version that was like in color, like a relatively recent, I mean, maybe it was the 60s or the 70s, but one of the more recent adaptations that was still, oh, here from 84 TV movie, the George C. Scott version, um, that, um, you know, that it's more faithful. It's set in the 19th century and it kind of sticks to the original story. So they just wanted to make clear that this is, you know, this is something different. Yeah, I think it's playing also with the Bill Murray persona. It's like you're going to see something a little crazy, a little wacky. Yes. There you go. Yeah. Yeah, so I think it's an artistic decision. I don't think there's necessarily anything pre- preventing them at that point from using the, the term a Christmas carol. But it's sense. nice because now because when people say, you know, you say Christmas carol, you're like, well, there's which one? There's there's eighty four, there's seventy, there was a two thousand and nine with Jim Carrey. Like y'all get confused. Where if you say, you say Scrooged, well, there's only one Scrooged. That's so true. They sure. were they were thinking, they were thinking on that one. The I one guess. with that great song at the end. The one with the great song. <laughs> the one with all the love in their hearts. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so that's that's my notes. That's what I got for. Uh, for this wonderful movie. Anything else? Anything else you guys got? Um, I I only had one note for the credits, really. Mm-hmm. I just, something caught my eye. Uh, well, actually, I thought it was kind of interesting that the, uh, you know, at least these days, you're, you're so used to seeing the actors right up front of the credits. And yes. I don't, they're like in the middle of the credits or something. Like you get all the production stuff beforehand. But one thing that caught my eye was Ron Smith's uh, celebrity lookalikes and... So I was trying to find information on that, whether it still even exists or whether it was just existing for a, a time. Um, mm-hmm. it, it seems to be maybe it was kind of mid-80s to mid-90s or something like that. Uh, I really couldn't find that much information on it. But I did find on IMDb, IMDb had a, a list of uh, Ron Smith's celebrity lookalikes uh, like projects that they had been involved in, and they ranked <laughs> they ranked them for some reason. So mm-hmm. uh, Scrooge actually came out number one on that list, and then Airplane, Leprechaun Three, Roadie, Pandemonium, um, and then it got gets kind of interesting, sort of not really, but uh, six and seven are uh, Chips. It was a two part episode of the Great Five K Star Race and Boulder Rep Party, Part One and Two. Uh, None of these have any information about like who the celebrity lookalikes were or what, who the <laughs> actors were that were doing the look. You know, it doesn't say anything like that. Uh, right. Funny thing was number eight was a Growing Pains. That was also a two-part episode, um, but that episode was called The Love Boat, 
And then number nine is not the second part of that episode, but number nine is actually a Love Boat episode, which I thought was funny. Um, and then so instead of a top 10 list, they actually made this a top 11 list so that they could put the second part of Growing Pains down at number 11. But So that's Ron Smith's Celebrity Lookalikes, and all of that stuff is definitely not new. So that's why I'm guessing that they're not around anymore. I don't know if you noticed that in this movie. Have you, <laughs> did you notice a lot of lookalikes? There's a lot of celebrities, but I wondered if maybe when they had those celebrities, like Jamie Farr, if they if there's times when he's in the background when they threw someone else in there so he didn't have to be there for it. If, if I don't know. Unless you yeah, happen to I, notice that there was a lot of stand-ins. I did not notice. I guess that would make sense where usually for you know a background actor or an extra that's not going to be recognized, it's just you swap someone who looks similar but yeah if your background folks are celebrities and like you really you know come on jamie farr is not just going to stand around while bill murray's chewing scenery and kissing dancers so <laughs> maybe that's why he yeah, looks so dead actually, maybe it's somebody else i hadn't picked up on that but it, it yeah. would make sense that for some of these scenes they have celebrity lookalike huh ron smith I don't know. It looks like either they're they're still around, or at least they've got somewhat of a online presence. There's yeah, a phone there, number there, for them. There's yeah. There's things that pop up, but it wasn't when I started clicking through. Like there's a Facebook page, but it, it's just one of those like uh, populated Facebook pages. It's not any official thing. Right. Yeah. When they do show up on Yelp, but there's no. There's no information. There's no reviews. Right. And if you go to the Better Business Bureau webpage, they are not accredited. So watch oh. out. Okay. So in case you're looking for a lookalike, <laughs> yeah. be wary. Lookalike at your own risk. That's right. You've been warned. <laughs> Ron Smith. Isn't that the name of like, like a Ron Smith surf shop or something? Or is there something like, I don't yeah. know, thinking of something from the 90s? That no, does sound different. like very generic. There is some other name. surf shop something. I don't think it's Ron Smith. Hmm. How would you know? Celebrity look like. <sighs> That's true. <laughs> so, Brian, anything else on, uh, on no, the Scrooge I mean, movie? I think we covered a lot of it. <laughs> we covered some of it. I found it. It's Ron John Surf Shop. Oh, Ron. Ron got me. Sorry, <laughs> just in case people want to know, we do our research here. We do, yeah. If you want to know about surf shops, <laughs> come to Scrooged by the Ghost. I was going to say, go to Tabitha Carla. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. She knows all the hot spots. All the hot spots in Michigan to go surfing. Yeah. The local spots where like nobody else mm-hmm. goes, Tabitha knows them. But she can't tell you because then they wouldn't be right. the secret local spots. Right. But make sure it's me and not a celebrity lookalike well, that you're talking we'll, to. We'll tell you they're the secret hotspots for a premium fee. There you they, go. But they'll you know be the hotspots that everybody else is going to. Mm-hmm. Um, so as as we wrap up this uh, our final night, our final episode of Scrooge by the Ghost. So if folks want to hear more of uh, of your talk, hear more about surf shops and and secret spots. Um, so Jonathan, where where can folks hear more from you? You can go to the Princess Bride Minute and listen to all of that. That movie is is donezo, and we don't have to do anything more with it, and it's awesome. And people are still listening to it, so that's even more awesome. And we're working on, currently, a UHF 60-second. We've, we've got some stuff done, and we are, well, 
we're looking to re- start release some stuff uh, early 2019. So um, look forward to that. I know people have been looking forward to it for a while, but uh, we're ready to go. All right. Yeah. Look, looking forward to that. And yeah, while people are waiting on the, uh, while you're waiting on the UHF, go back and check out the Princess Bride Minute. Yeah. Great movie and a, and a great podcast. And, uh, and Tabitha, you've got some stuff going on, I hear. In, in the podcast world, right? Yeah. Well, I'm not a host of my own podcast, but I've uh, had the opportunity to guest on some podcasts. And just recently, I was a guest on Mean Girls Minute. So that'll be, um, you can actually find me this past week on Mean Girls Minute. And uh, two weeks ago, I was a guest on Five Minutes of Mystery, uh, which uh, Jonathan and I were both on that. And we had a really good time. So there's there's more out there too. Um, Minute Impossible is another good one uh, we've been on, and we're going to be on the first five episodes of their upcoming season two. Oh. So you can find me there. Yeah. Very nice. All very exciting stuff. And uh, so, Brian, where can, where can people hear more of you? Well, you could do the Planes, Trains, and Automobiles by Day, which is actually in this feed. So you can yeah. just scroll back and download some of that. And uh, maybe something in the future. Who knows? Huh? Mm-hmm. Yeah, little uh, little mystery there, a little cryptic, but uh, yeah, folks gonna hang on. Yeah, if you if you look up uh, one previously holiday, one previous holiday to uh, to the Christmas special here, we did the planes, trains, and automobile days for uh, for Thanksgiving. So uh, yeah, if you haven't, you can listen to that. If you have, go back and listen to it again. For for myself, well, you can find me uh, here at Scrooge by the Ghost. You can also probably check out if you want to hear more. I can't imagine why you would, but if you did want to hear more from me, probably the best place to start is catandshawn.org. Uh, so it's C-A-T and Sean, S-E-A-N.org. And uh, the homepage there has uh, links to this thing, the, the Groundhog Minute, the Spinal Tap Minute, and all the other um, podcast stuff I've been doing. So I, I definitely want to make sure I thank uh, all the guests that we've had, um, Jonathan Howell and Chris Ramirez, from Minute Impossible, um, had those guys for uh, for kicking us off our introduction on night one. Uh, also had uh, Doug Greenberg from Rocky Minute, Eric Nash from from Watchmen Minute, Tierney Steele from Return Return to Oz Minute, Never Ending Minute, and the upcoming Mash Minute. And then uh, she's also got a little uh, Joe versus the Volcano Project actioning on the action on the burner as well. And Robert Black, our our great friend from Michael Myers Minute. Dave Made a Minute podcast and the Groundhog Day Project. Uh, of course, Liz Whitaker from Mean Girls Minute. Eric Deutsch from Flash Gordon Minute. Uh, my friend and, and yours, Dave Palace, of course, stopped by from the Groundhog Minute and uh, Five Minutes of Mystery. Um, also want to thank Niall McGowan from Bat Minute and Father David, our uh, official Movies by Minutes chaplain. And then, of course, you folks uh, here tonight, uh, Tabitha and Jonathan Carlisle and Brian um, thank you all for coming. Uh, a, a shout out to uh, once again to Jonathan Howell from Minute Impossible, who did our graphics, our, uh, our Facebook banner, and the little picture that I attached to uh, to these files. Uh, thanks. Another thanks to Dave Palace for uh, joining me. Our little our little introduction in the trailer, our little skit there. Um, that was Dave Palace joining me. Uh, Christopher Dennis, I want to thank. Uh, could not join. Uh, my co-host 
from National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation last year. Christopher Dennis could not join us this year, um, but he did provide our, our music, our intro and outro music for all the episodes. Thank you very much, uh, Christopher Dennis, for that. Um, so come on back for the next spirit of Scrooged by the Ghost. Hello? Sean? Sean? Cat? Anybody here? Hmm. Well, there's some milk that, uh... Oh! Oh! Oh, man, that smells terrible. How long has this been sitting here? Uh, oh, there's a note here by Sean's podcasting microphone. I'll take a look at this. Hmm. We waited and waited as long as we could. You didn't show up. Merry Christmas, Sean. You know, that, that that's just that, that's just what I hate about the holidays. You know, you got it you gotta show up on time, you show up a couple weeks late, and everybody's like, Oh, you missed the holidays. <sighs> you know what? You know what? That that's the last that's just that's it for me. I'm done. This this stupid application I filled out for the Galactic Peace Pour. Nah, I'm not doing that. I'm calling that nice young Sith Lord. I'm going to accept that admiralty position. I know where I'm going. I know my future. I think the war on Christmas... ...has officially begun. Seymour, feed me.